welcome to today's CME activity. There is no commercial support. The speakers and planners have disclosed no relevant financial relationships with any commercial interests. You will receive a SurveyMonkey link after today's activity. And if you're viewing online, the evaluation link will be listed in the links icon in the description section of the video. If you have a question and you're viewing online, please enter it into the Q&A chat and we'll ask Dr. Lee after her presentation. And if you're in the room, just raise your hand and uh, we'll bring the microphone over for you. It is my pleasure to introduce Dr. Nina Lee, who is from Lawrenceville, Georgia. She was the first in her family to go to college and graduated with a biology degree. She continued her education and received a Master of Public Health in Epidemiology at Georgia State University. She did research in surgical oncology at Emory Winship Cancer Institute and began medical school at Philadelphia College of Osteopathic Medicine. She is now a third year resident in internal medicine who is interested in um, doing hospital medicine. Join me in welcoming Dr. Lee. Thank you so much for showing up everyone. Um, my close friends and family all know that I love food. So of course I picked a topic related to food. All right, so today, what are you eating for lunch? Um, I have no professional or financial disclosures. And today's objectives, um, we will review the cardiovascular disease and types of diets that we can um, have. We'll evalu evaluate the literature in support of the Mediterranean diet, um, as well as the vegetarian diet. Um, and then discuss how the vegetarian diet affects those in, with cardiovascular disease. Um, I wanna discuss how dietary guidelines should change to reflect this emerging evidence in the field. And then in regards to the outline um, for the introduction, um, I'll discuss the impact of coronary heart disease, the risk factors, um, review all of that, as well as the importance of diet. Um, I, I have a little list of diets that we're gonna go through just real quickly, the DASH diet, the Mediterranean diet, as well as the vegetarian diet. But today's focus will be on the vegetarian diet because of a recent meta-analysis meta that was released. And then we'll go through with concluding remarks and then any questions that you guys may have. So before we get into um, all the little details of the different types of diets, I wanted to focus on um, how much medicine has progressed over the past several years or centuries um, and how, how it's affected our well-being and our life expectancy. Um, back in 460 BC, there was the birth of Hippocrates, um, the Greek father of medicine. Um, that's when we began the scientific study of medicine. In 1489, um, Leonardo da Vinci dissects some of the corpses. In 1796, we had Edward Jenner develop the prox uh, process of vaccination for smallpox, and then the, it came up with the first vaccine for any type of disease. In 1928, we had Sir Alexander um, Fleming discover penicillin. And then just moving a little bit forward, I skipped a couple years, but um, in 1968, we had our first heart transplant in the United States. 1977, we had our first vaccination for pneumonia. And then in 1980, we had a smallpox was eradicated. Um, in the early 2000s, we had many different um, findings and discoveries, um, but I just picked three random ones. Um, we had 3D prosthetics created. We had a better understanding of the cholesterol mechanism. Then we also found a gene that was um, uh, re possibly reversing cardiac hypertrophy, the GDF11. 
but why is all of this important? So like I mentioned, I wanted to go over how much progress medicine has made overall um, and how our life expectancy has been affected with all our findings and discoveries. So back in 460, our life expectancy was around in the 20s to early 30s. We didn't really live past that mark. In the 1400s, we were maybe the late 40s, so we improved a little bit. The 1790s, our life expectancy went up another 10 years or so. 1900s continued to go up. You're expected to live in the 60s. And then if you keep moving forward, you'll see in the 1960s, the age life, average life, um, life expectancy was around 75, 76, and then 78. And then we kind of see a little bit of a plateau when we kind of hit the early 2000s. Um, in 2015, it was about 78.8. In 2020, I'm gonna get into a little bit more detailed um, in the past couple of years, it was about 77.3. So that was the first drop that we've had in several decades. Um, moving forward to 2021, it drops to about 77. And then 2022, 76.1. So even though we're advancing in medicine, what is it that, why is it that our life expectancy is actually going down? It's very interesting. Um, CDC re released an article saying it was the second year in a row. So I wanted to focus on um, the causes of this, the possible causes of it. Um, so again, I mentioned women, their life expectancy actually dropped from 79.9 to 79.1. Um, and then men dropped from about 74.2 to 73.2. Leading causes of death, at least in the United States. Um, I wanted to focus on this versus other countries because we're so different with our diets and everything. Number one, cardiovascular disease. So heart disease, um, that's been number one for several years, several decades now. Number two is cancer. Um, so stuff like lung cancer, breast cancer, and prostate cancer are up there. And then of course, number three was COVID-19 and after we had the pandemic. Um, I wanted to mention number four as well, unintentional injuries. That has also climbed dramatically over the past several years. That includes unintentional um, overdoses, five stroke, and the list kind of goes on and on. Um, I wanted to pull up a diagram that the CDC re released. And if you look at it, top that I mentioned was a heart disease. Um, before it was about 168 deaths per 100,000 in the US standard population. Um, but if you go towards 2021, why is it that it increased to 173? Um, two, we know about cancer, that was also slightly increased. Um, then three, of course, COVID-19. Um, and then I mentioned the unintentional overdoses kind of falls under the unintentional injuries that um, you also see rising. So, so we need to focus more on what is causing um, heart disease in general, and what are the things that we can change a little bit. So to go into further detail of that, what is car cardiovascular disease and the categories that are included in it? Um, the first one is the coronary heart disease that I mentioned. Those include the myocardial infarctions, so the heart attacks, um, angina pectoris, coronary deaths, um, any type of cerebral vascular disease like strokes and TIAs any peripheral artery disease, aortic arthrosclerosis, or any type of thoracic or abdominal aorta aneurysm. And then of course, what are the risk factors? So this should be a good review for most people. Um, most people in the United States have at least one of these risk factors. And if you look at the events that um, currently, that all our data is from, most of these 90% of the events that occur have at least just one risk factor. So all you need is one and you'll have something happen. So what are some of the top modifiable risk factors that we have 
We know of um, high cholesterol, so hyperlipidemia. We have diabetes. We have hypertension, obesity, and smoking. Um, these are various topics that we go over when we have uh, we see the patients outpatient or even inpatient in the hospital. If you look at the trends uh, from 1999 to 2000 through 2017-2020, um, you'll notice that the U.S. obesity prevalence actually increased a lot. Um, it went from 30.5% to about 41.9%. So if you just randomly walk on the street, um, let's say you run into 10 people, um, probably four out of those 10 people are at least are obese. Um, so it's a, it's a great portion. Um, what are the things that are kind of related to this? So poor diet is strongly, uh, strongly associated with this elevated risk um, of CBD morbidity and mortality. Um, and so that's why I think we really do need to focus on this today. I love diagrams and I love colors. So this, the CDC um, created an image of the United States to see how um, prevalent obesity is. Um, you'll notice based off the scale, anything that's red is at least 35 to 40%, maybe even 45%. Um, you can see up to the Kentucky, there's half the state is obese. Um, there's only a couple states that have about 25 to 30% of obesity. Um, that includes California, Colorado, Washington. Um, you'll notice a little bit of New York in there and Vermont. But a majority of the United States is very obese. And I think that's where a lot of our health problems come from. Um, so what are the things that we can do? So we know that poor diet is probably one of the leading causes of mortality in the US. Um, red and processed meats, there's plenty of studies out there that mention that it's been linked to different types of cancers like GI cancers. Um, so what we can do better for our patients is at least tell them that or educate them in regards to dietary modification. Um, but this is a lot more difficult than um, said than done. Um, so challenges that they can go through. So self-discipline is something that's huge, um, especially when you're, you know, within my one mile of my apartment complex, there's, I walk out and there's probably at least six or seven fast food spots. There's only one grocery store and majority of those things in the grocery store are processed most likely. Um, so it's very difficult to just have that self-discipline when everything's just easy, easily accessible. Um, coping with everyday stress. I am a huge stress eater. So if I have a very bad day, I probably go buy a bucket of ice cream and I eat the whole thing. Um, so people, you know, living, working every single day, having, you know, relationship issues, having family issues, um, work issues, all of that kind of cause a lot of stress. Um, managing your social significance of food. Do you even see value in food? Um, and then for the, the people, especially for younger um, adults here, um, we, in the, in the times that we are free from our schedules, at least our residents, um, we try to hang out with each other by meeting at a restaurant. We'll go get some type of unhealthy fried foods that we have there, um, or we'll get some drinks at a, at a brewery, so stuff like that. Um, negotiating with family members, um, that's also huge. Um, if I were, you know, if my parents moved in with me, it would be okay because I would cook the food and make sure it's very healthy. But let's say it was the other way around. Um, if I moved in with my parents, they like their fried foods. They have occasional vegetables and salads there, but not as much as I want to be healthy. Um, and so that, stuff like that also impacts my diet. Um, are you able to tell your family members to get on board with you or not? Um, and then the knowledge. Um, knowledge is a huge thing if patients don't understand um, why, why is eating healthy important in the first place? Why would they even try to change? Um, they need to understand, you know, the mechanisms going up to it and then the consequences that can occur if you don't try to adjust your diet. Um, 
But our overall goal, especially in medicine, is to improve health and decrease the risk of disease. Um, there are a lot of diets, especially high quality diets that emphasize limited consumption of processed meats, um, trans fat, sugars, and alcohol. And again, that's very difficult when you walk into Kroger and it's cheaper to buy a, you know, a pack of Cokes rather than just, I don't know, water. Um, and then greater intake of vegetables, fruits, um, legumes, as well as whole grains. So I have a very open-ended question. Um, a 52-year-old woman is evaluated during her annual physical examination. Her BMI is 36. Medical history is also significant for depression, sleep apnea, hypertension, and diabetes. Medications that she's currently taken include metformin, glimepiride, bupropion, and metoprolol. On physical examination, vital signs are normal. Um, the remainder is pretty unremarkable. Um, BMI is 36, though. So what are some possible interventions? Diet and exercise. Okay. So um, usually, you know, diet that, like you said, high in uh, fruits and vegetables, low in processed food, exercise 150 minutes per week at least. Um, yeah, basically some <clears throat> behavioral intervention for weight loss. So like talking to the patient, counseling them on weight loss. Okay. Great, so diet and exercise is usually one of the more popular options. Anything else? And this is open-ended, it's not just diet. Is there something in the list of medications that could be um, contributing to her weight gain? Is there, are, are there any other medical or med pharmaceutical interventions? Well, I was thinking since she had depression, seeing how controlled that is, because maybe she doesn't feel like working out because she's depressed and the bupropion isn't helping. Exactly, so you wanna consider um, us as physicians, we have to consider the whole aspect of the patient. What are they going through? Um, what, you know, what is causing this weight gain? Is it actually the diet or it could be depression? What else? CPAP complaints. Yes. So she's definitely not using her CPAP. So that can also cause a lot of issues. No, I was just saying the sulfonylurea can cause weight gain. Yes. So one of the other things that physicians have to consider is it are the medication side effects that are occurring um, that are causing this. So glimepiride can cause it, actually bupropion can too, and then one of the, I didn't know this, metoprolol. Um, so that can also cause about two pound weight gain to start in that. Um, so you wanna consider those things. So we have diet, exercise, you know, is the patient, uh, is her mood control, is her depression um, stable or not? And then medications, anything else you guys wanna add? Um, she could possibly have PCOS, is my history. Yep. So you want to consider other differentials, like is, is there a medical issue that she has that's causing it? All right. Anyone else have any other comments? Residents are doing so great. Okay. So those are great um, options um, uh, or interventions that you can also go and make sure that everything's good. Um, but just to move on a little bit, uh, we'll revisit this question later. So the American Heart Association, um, well, first off, this presentation I really want to use as a preventive measure. I think that we should really focus on um, factors that we can adjust before the patient even comes um, with you know, high blood pressure, diabetes, and all of that stuff. And so it's more focused on things that we can do to prevent rather than medications and everything that we can do to treat something that's already a, a problem. Um, so with that said, American Heart Associ Association Dietary Guidelines. Um, their website has actually improved a lot over the past several years. Um, it looks a, a lot more user-friendly, um, but it focuses on proper nutrition early on in life, heart-healthy diets, 
whatever that means, we'll go over that. Structural challenges that impede adherence, so anything that can impede a patient from going to get healthy foods. They want to kind of focus on preventing that. Um, so, so stuff like food deserts. Um, they have a great diagram. It says it emphasizes on fruits and vegetables, which we all know, whole grain foods, healthy sources of proteins like fish and seafood, um, nuts, poultry, and then lean meat, occasional liquid plant, plant oils. They want to minimize beverages and foods with added sugars, um, ultra-processed foods, and then processed meats, food high in salt, um, alcoholic beverages, tropic oils. But overall, things to emphasize and things to avoid to try to be healthy. Um, I have a general question for the audience. What, what is considered processed foods? So prepackaged foods like those frozen meals that you have in the freezer, that's processed. Like something added to the, like an extra ingredient or something rather than the pure whatever substance or item it is. Yeah, so anything that has any added um, flavoring, salt. Um, so let's say you have frozen vegetables that you think are very healthy and they have added salt in there or seasonings, that's considered processed in a way. It's not ultra processed like, you know, spam and all of that, but it is still processed. So frozen meals um, are also considered processed. You the, the frozen pizzas, that's processed. Any carbonated drinks, all that's processed. I usually tell my patients, if it doesn't look like a chicken, it's probably processed. Um, and it's very hard for us to just, because the, if you walk into Kroger right now, most of the things are pre-seasoned, packaged, everything in the factory. You don't know what's actually um, fresh or not fresh. Um, but okay, moving forward. So what's considered heart-healthy diets? Um, there's med the Mediterranean diet that's been very popular over the past several years. There's also the DASH diet that um, a lot of physicians have been recommending um, probably over a decade now. And then there's the healthy vegetarian diet, which we'll go into a little bit more details about. So DASH diet, for those that don't know about it, stands for Dietary Approaches to Stop Hypertension. That's its biggest thing. Um, can we control your blood pressure or not? Um, it focuses on the usual vegetables, fruits, whole grains, low-fat foods, uh, fish and poultry. There's actually different studies if you look at it. I was always taught in medical school that two grams or 2,000 milligrams or two grams a day is the max. But if you go through and read the, the research, it seems like it, most of the studies have, have a range from 1,500 milligrams to about 2,300 milligrams that you want to limit your diet. Um, and then for patients who really want a, a number to everything, four to five servings of fruit per day, four to five servings of vegetables. Um, they're recommending 68 servings of whole grains as well as two to three servings of low fat or fat-free dairy. Um, and then for your other proteins, um, you want six or less servings of any type of meat, chicken or fish. Um, they're not very specific with what types of meats. Um, and then of, of course, two to three servings of your heart healthy fats and oils. And then the Mediterranean diet, which is the more popular diet right now, um, currently trending. Um, it encourages pretty similar things. I think the biggest difference is probably the fish and the seafood, but it encourages whole grains, vegetables, fruits, nuts, herbs, spices. Olive oil is the main source of added fat if you do add any type of fat. Um, and then fish and seafood with a little bit of dairy and poultry in moderation. Um, so it's very fish and seafood focused. Um, avoid red meats and sweets if you can. If you do eat it, of course, occasionally, um, we, we, want, you know, we want to give the patient some freedom so that they're, they'll be able to stick with their diet plan a lot longer term if we are not as strict, but things that you should follow. Um, minimally processed foods as well, and then traditionally included whole fat dairy or any unprocessed red meats. Um, with a diagram for people who prefer pictures, we have, again, red meats sparingly, 
um, poultry and eggs, maybe one or two times a week. Um, and then the fish greater than three times a week. Um, and then of course you have to do your physical activity, your meal and your family time. All that's very important for your overall well-being. And then I just wanna give a little uh, summary on the research behind it. There's pl been pl plenty of research studies on how well the Mediterranean diet is um, overall. There's one study, the EPIC study. Um, this was included over 74,000 patients um, age 60 and above. They used the scoring system to see how well they adhere to the Mediterranean diet. So they did give them a little bit of flexibility and everything. Um, but the, for those that actually adhere to it better with increased scores, um, they had a reduction in cardiovascular death. Um, and it was associated with increased survival among the elderly. There was another one, the CardioPrev study, which was a randomized control trial mainly in Spain that compared um, the Mediterranean diet as well as low fat diet as secondary prevention. Um, the participants were between ages 20 to 75 with a total of about 1,000 patients. Their um, cardiovascular event hazard ratio decreased about 26%. And specifically in men, 30, there was a 33% reduction in the cardiovascular events. Um, so this diet seemed to peer to the low-fat diet over about seven years. And just to mention one more to have just three. Um, the PURE study actually presented on this last year. This had over 125,000 patients, um, over 18 countries. They replaced mainly saturated fats with other fats and carbohydrates. Um, whole fat and low fat dairy products were associated with reduced cardiovascular events. And then the other thing I didn't put on here were um, patients that had a higher percentage of carbohydrate fats actually did not do as well compared to others. Um, but that's the Mediterranean study, just a couple studies. There are plenty more if you want to um, do more research on it. Um, my focus though today, I wanted to focus on vegetarian diets because I don't know much about vegetarian diets. I don't know if you guys know much about vegetarian diets, but there, weren't there wasn't enough research out there um, comparing to see, you know, is the vegetarian diet even helpful at all? Um, and so I, there's a recent meta-analysis that was actually published uh, maybe two months ago, and that's what I'm gonna present on today. Um, but just diving deep into it, there are so many different vegetarian diets. So I only put two definitions on here. There's the vegan diet, which excludes meat, poultry, fish, and eggs, dairy products, so anything with animal products. And then there's the lacto-ovo vegetarian diet, which excludes meat and fish and poultry, but you're allowed to have dairy products and eggs, so cheese is fine. And of course, there are several other ones. Um, but this is a study I, uh, I'm talking about that was published in JAMA. So just vegetarian dietary patterns, um, and then the risk with, um, with patients who had high risk of cardiovascular disease. So this was a, a systematic review and a meta-analysis that included 20 um, randomized control trials. Um, most of the studies that have been published so far are not randomized control trials, so I didn't really look into those. I, I want, you know, the better ones, the better studies. Um, this had over 1,800 participants with an average of six months of intervention. Um, it is the only meta-analysis that I know of so far with RCTs um, that have investigated the association between vegetarian diet outcomes as well as and it, outcomes among those with cardiovascular disease. I think there's one that's in the works right now, if not about to be publish, published soon, um, that I heard about that they're doing in Europe. So that should be um, out soon, if not already. So this one specifically looked at LDL as well as um, hemoglobin A1C and then systolic blood pressures. Um, Patients were mainly in the US, Asia, Europe, New Zealand, um, mean age anywhere from 28 to 64. 
Um, so this is a summary slide of the, the findings, um, just because I like getting straight to the point, but we'll show the images in a little bit. So in average, they found a decrease of the LDL by about 6.6 in those six months of intervention. I know it doesn't seem like much, but we'll go through the um, limitations of the studies. Yeah. Um, so 6.6 overall. Um, the most consistent reduction was noted in those with high-risk CBD, so those with a CBD scores greater than 10%. Um, they had a decrease of LDL about 9.1. And then among all different vegetarian diets, um, the lacto-ovo vegetarian diet had a greater re LDL reduction by about 14.1. Um, so this is actually one of the limitations of the study. It actually included trials that had restricted energy intake as well. So there was a max amount of calories that they could um, intake for a couple of those studies. I think it was 1,200 for females and then 1,500 for men um, for one or two of those studies. And then re energy uh, reduction of 7.2 without energy restriction, as well as 6.8 with energy re restriction. So it seems about seven overall um, for those. So LDL could drop just with diet changes. And then A1C, um, it reduced by about 0.24 in those six months. Weight decreased about 3.4 kilograms. They didn't notice a significance in any, any energy restriction, which is a little bit surprising to me, but this is just one of the findings. And then they say there was no change in systolic blood pressure as well. That wasn't significant. Um, so here are the plots. If you look at this diagram for those that are not familiar with this plot, this line right here um, usually is not significant or any changes. Anything that kind of goes towards this left, it favors vegetarian diet. Um, to the other side, favors no change at all with your diet. So this is looking at the LDL specifically, and it looks like most of them favor vegetarian diet and a drop in the LDL. There are a couple where it's kind of iffy. Um, and then if you go on to the next slide, you'll notice that the A1C is also, um, looks like a, most of them are favoring um, the vegetarian diet as well. And this is the one where I said it dropped about 0.24 within six months. However, though, in regards to the blood pressure, um, there weren't really many changes. Um, it's, you might see one or what, one, two, three, four studies that kind of favor the diet, and then otherwise there wasn't really much effect of the, the blood pressure. Potential mechanisms. Um, I'm just going to be very superficial with this because there's a lot of chemistry and everything, pathophysiology behind this. But um, potential mechanisms, well-balanced diet supplemented by the vegetarian or the vegan diet that um, can include lower intake of saturated fats. Um, so that's been li linked to cardiovascular disease. And then there's also the L-carnitine and choline, which are precursors to the TMAO. Um, the TMAO is actually one of the precursors to breaking down the arteries and then helping build with cardiovascular disease. So you don't want foods high in that. And then as well as branch amino acids, which promote insulin resistance. Um, diets high in fiber, sterols, um, mono polyunsaturated fats, potassium, magnesium, they typically have lower glycemic indexes. And then most of these studies focus on minimally processed foods, including plant-based. And so th that's why I was asking you guys, you know, is it, what, what is considered processed foods? And a lot of people think that they're eating very healthy, but in rea reality, it's, it's very processed. Um, limitations of the study. There are plenty of limitations, especially the first of its kind um, for vegetarian diets. Four of the trials had less than 100 participants. So sample size is, is very important. Um, adherence and diet quality was also very difficult to assess um, due to the limited data collection that we had. 
Um, it did not include any energy requirements, my, my, macronutrients, micronutrients, as well as the cooking methods and the different food groups. Um, many studies were also low fat, so we don't know, you know, what if you have moderate to high fat intake, um, how does that affect anything? And then most countries were also in the Western countries, so that limits the generalizability. And then, you know, U.S. is very different with their diets to most parts of the world, I would say, but um, in regards to the, the vegetarian diets of South Asia compared to the U.S., it's very different. Um, I would say it's a little bit more carb-heavy um, in South Asian uh, countries, and so it seems like the U.S. might be slightly healthier in regards to that aspect. And then, in conclusion, we have a couple of things. Um, so, vegetarian diet, it seems like it may reduce your LDL, hemoglobin A1C, your body weight, especially in those with high risk um, for cardiovascular disease events. Um, the greatest reduction was seen though in those with cardiovascular disease as well as um, type 2 diabetes. There wasn't any difference in your systolic blood pressure. Um, energy restrictions, surprisingly, was not significant for this study. Um, and then, we need a well-designed nutrition just clinical trials with a comprehensive dietary information to investigate the full effect of vegetarian diets because all the other ones were kind of, um, they're well designed, but they just had their, their pros and their cons for each and they weren't very uniform. Um, but we need to focus on the full effect of those diets as well as in combination with optimal pharmacological therapy. So by no means am I saying, you know, you have a high risk patient coming in um, and I tell you, and I don't start them on a statin if they need to be on a statin. Right, I, I, I definitely start them on the statin if they need to and then encourage them to a healthy diet. This is not a replacement for now until we um, find, of course, more data on stuff. Um, but this is more of a preventive measure before we even get there. Um, and then dietary modification should be emphasized and tailored to every patient accordingly. Everyone's body is very different. We don't know how things will affect them. Um, but I'm hoping that this presentation has helped you um, just realize the importance of preventive medicine. Um, I think that we should just be able to control or educate patients um, on different risk factors and things that they can change before they you know, end up with a heart attack. And then we decide to start them on medications. And then we decide to intervene a little bit. Um, but I hope you guys think twice about what you eat for lunch and dinner. Um, any questions or concerns? I also want to thank you, Dr. Tata, for taking the time to help me so much with this presentation. Um, very helpful. And then I want to thank Dr. Sanchez as well as Dr. Gross, who's helped me in the past with this topic. Great presentation. Um, earlier you talked about like how the older generations are, or the trends are decreasing rather than going up, right? Like I think you said 78 to 77 or something. I just want to see what your opinion or what you thought like the new GLP-1 kind of trend will have on this, or if any, or do you think it's just a little Band-Aid that won't do much to this trend? Yeah, that, that's a great question. Um, I think that it will positively affect things. Um, I think it's a great way to kind of jumpstart weight loss for those that who, who've tried um, adjusting their diet and everything. Um, I've seen a lot of, there have been a couple of research studies out there already that people have lost over 20, 30 pounds just being on it. Um, so I think it will help with obesity, but in regards to life expectancy, I'm not sure because overall, it's going to look at your overall, what are you doing to change your lifestyle that caused you to be there in the first place? 
That's my opinion. Right, and they're pretty new, so there may even not be enough data yet. Exactly. So what do we tell those patients? You know, we have a high population of people who don't have high incomes. Mm -hmm. Bagged lettuce, is I that good or bad? Yeah, so I, that's a huge problem with our, I guess our society today. We're so focused on waiting for the problem to occur and then treating with medications. It's actually cheaper to get um, a cholesterol medication than adjusting your diet. I do not have a good answer. I know that we've always been struggling with, for example, food deserts that I mentioned earlier. Um, there are a lot of low-income housing areas, especially in Atlanta, where their closest healthy, somewhat healthy grocery store is probably like a 20-minute drive, um, if not more. Um, so I do not have a great solution, but we really do need to start off with at least educating them and then maybe providing the resources behind it. I don't know where we would get the funding behind all of that. It's a multi-step process issue, yep. Okay, before we educate our parents, our patients, we need to first eat stay and stay healthy. What are your thoughts about Chick-fil-A? Chick-fil-A in, Chick in the hospital. What do you think about that? Should we get rid of Chick-fil-A in the hospital? Oh, those are, that's a fighting question. I feel like, especially in the South, um, I, I prefer, it's okay to have your unhealthy foods here and there, but when I say here and there, I mean, I mean maybe once or twice um, in every two or three weeks. I, I think, yes, as doctors, we have to be great role models and it's very difficult, but I also see both sides in regards to, am I gonna live a miserable life if I just limit everything? Am I not allowed to eat one bag of chips or am I not allowed to eat a candy bar? Um, Yes, we, as doctors, we should be great role models and we should probably avoid having those in the hospital. Um, but healthcare, I think, is a, another issue with it is that we're very um, business driven. And so the Chick-fil-A probably funds a lot. There are a lot of patients who probably, even if we don't have a Chick-fil-A here, they're gonna drive out to get something and bring it back. Um, so the education is number one. And if they want to adjust their habits, that's really up to them. Right, especially with DoorDash and all those conveniences, exactly. right? Yep. Um, but I do think we should start as a hospital system providing healthier choices. I agree. Right. Okay, one more here. Great presentation. I'm wondering how closely do NGHS physicians work with our dietitians to reach the best patient outcomes? That is a very good question. I think I've only consulted a dietitian <clears throat> once or twice, so not closely on my part. Um, I don't know about you, everyone else in the audience, how we're, I know Dr. Gross was working closely with a dietitian, I believe, but I don't know if anyone else was. So it's a good question. We should probably implement that a little bit more. Right, maybe, maybe people don't know, but we do have dietitians and you can consult them. Yeah, for sure. Thank you, Dr. Lee. Thank you.